Hello and welcome to the Chicana Code Switchers podcast. Your co-hosts are Ariana and Patricia. We are both Chicana scholar practitioners in higher education. Each episode, we discuss insights, tips, and resources for students and practitioners in higher education with a focus on social justice and platicas. With that being said, let's start this episode. So hi, everybody. Um, I'm so excited to have another episode. Uh, we have a new guest. Um, her name is Janine Medina, um, and she is a third year PhD student in the social personality psychology field. Her main research area is sexual communication and more specifically how the ways in which men and women talk about sex contributes to the orgasm slash pleasure gap. Um, she's a Mexican immigrant, a first-generation college student, and for many years of her life, um, she didn't know what graduate school was or what it looked like. Um, she was very lucky to have amazing mentors along the way, which is how um, she got where she is currently. She likes research, but her main goal is to become a community college professor. Teaching, mentoring, and service is where her heart truly lies, and that's the path um, she would want to pursue. In her spare time, uh, she loves to travel with her husband. Um, she loves to drink wine and loves to cook. Um, she also loves playing and cuddling with her two furry kids and loves to have people enjoy being in, our, in her home. So welcome, Janine. Um, and then, Ariana, can you please, both of you, tell us how you both met um, and what you got Janine to come to our podcast. <laughs> yeah, Janine, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. Yeah. Hi, thank you so much for having me. This is my first podcast episode. So I'm, I'm like, this is, this is a big deal to me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Janine and I, um, I was thinking about this today as we were preparing for this episode, just like how life hap like how life takes um, a direction. For me, for example, like had I not been accepted at UC Riverside, I would be missing out on Janine, you know, <laughs> more importantly, I would be missing out on you. <laughs> so, so we both um, are uh, doctoral students at UC Riverside and I applied for this uh, graduate, I just know the acronyms, GSMP, right? Graduate, graduate student, student mentorship program. And I applied, got accepted, and I found out I got paired with the wonderful Janine. And I just, I'm so lucky. I, I just look back at my first year in my PhD program and I'm like, I don't know how I would have done it without Janine. Like you just being my femtor, my female mentor, it was like, I, I like think of all those instances because we would meet week, weekly. Yeah. And I think you were there when I needed you the most especially like learning the ropes learning how to like what is river you see riverside what is riverside in general like and how do you manage um studying and all those things right like that come with being a PhD student and you being a second year like you had like all these things down like you had like so much to share and <sighs> yeah yeah, I, yeah, sorry. No, I'm just sighing because I, if I don't sigh, I'm just going to cry. <laughs> and we, and I was even more lucky because we have like, we share a lot of, a lot in common, right? So uh, we're both immigrants. Um, we're both from Mexico and um, dealing with immigration, right? Like I think um, with me, it was like renewing my DACA and, and sharing those experiences with you. And learning about your own like um, citizenship process, right? So, yeah. so it was just like, it was really cool to have not only a mentor who could support me academically, um, but also someone who understands like the nuances of immigration and like the other layers of my uh, identity that I hold. Yeah. And I think I, I really, really love that. I remember, I like, I will never forget in, in the first big, uh, like the orientation meeting for, for the mentoring program where we, you know, we got paired up, uh, with, with Annie Ditta, our faculty mentor, and, you know, we're all introducing ourselves and you mentioned that you were from Mexico city 
And I just like, because I mean, I've met people from Mexico, but it's rare to meet someone from Mexico City. So I just remember my face lighting up like, oh my God, this is so exciting. And I get to work with her. And yeah, just meeting you, it, it really just felt very, like, I don't want to get too, um, too metaphysical here, but like, yeah, it really just felt like written in the, in the universe. Yeah. So that's briefly just how we met and, and now we're friends and I'm excited for this upcoming year so we can hang out more. Yes, yes, yes. I'm so bummed that you went back to Northern California so quickly because we had (laughs) so many summer plans. I know, I know, but it's too hot. (laughs) That's true. That is true. Janine, we briefly touched on this, but can you tell us more about yourself, your upbringing? Yeah. So I, you know, I, like I mentioned, I, I was born in Mexico city. I lived there, you know, up until I was eight, which is when my family first migrated to the U S you know, it was a very conservative Catholic um, family. Uh, And I am the youngest of three. And I don't know, there was just, um, it's always a little, it's always a little strange, you know, being, being, it was for me, at least it was always a little strange being the youngest, but also often acting as the oldest. Like I was just constantly the caretaker for my, for my brother, especially. So it's my, the oldest is my sister, then my brother and then me. And I don't really sadly have a good relationship with my sister, but my brother is awesome and I love him. And, but I was always kind of like his caretaker, you know, and that, that, I feel like that just doesn't really go away (laughs) like ever. Uh, And there's this, there's, as much as I love him, there is also this kind of like embedded sexism in that where like, as like Latina women, you know, you're, you're, you're supposed to take care of the men in your family. So even though I was the younger sister, I was always taking care of my brother. And if he would go out and party and get back home in the middle of the night, then he was hungry. Then it's like, okay, I'm getting up and I'm, I'm making food for my brother, you know? So, uh, so it's like a weird love hate relationship with that, uh, because on the one hand it bonded me with him, but on the other, it's like, okay, yeah, but how, right was that you know um I always loved school I you know my parents have a lot of mistakes every parent is is flawed um but the one thing my my mom always really did do is she just would constantly talk about the importance of going to school and getting an education and um I I do have her, her to thank for like my my commitment to school and just my, um, I call it like my, my well-developed super ego where sometimes all I want to do is sleep. And then I hear my mom's voice in the back of my head, just like, Nope, you got to get to work, do it, do it now. And, uh, so I guess I, you know, that's probably one of the best gifts she could have given me. I left home also really young. I, well, not really young. I, I, I left home at 18. I went back to Mexico to live on my own and, trying to figure out my path. You know, I started school and dropped out of college like three or four different times before I came back and did it the whole way through. Um, so the, the stumbling for a long time, it, fe- it felt like, am I ever going to do this? How is this possible? I was such a good student and now I can't even like make it through like a year of college. Like, what is happening? And I think it was just not finding what I wanted to do. And And I needed to have that aha moment of, oh, this is what, what, what calls to me to really keep me motivated and keep me going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that in itself, right? Like um, those experiences provide you with so much, like you learn so much about yourself along the way. Yeah. Yeah. You learn about resilience. You learn about the whole world kind of opens up, you know, because you start taking maybe one class that you have to take, and then maybe you find that interesting. And then maybe you take another one and then you begin to question long held beliefs that you had because of your upbringing. And it really does, education really does open the world to you, um, to people, or at least that's been my, my, in my case, my experience. With regards to that, you, you, you already talked about your family uh, and 
your husband, how has his, his, he influenced you? Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? My husband is my biggest fan and, and I'm his, uh, he, so, you know, I, I, uh, mentioned how in my bio, how I, for a long time, did not know what grad school was. I like at some point, you know, I would hear that that's a thing. I would hear people talk about masters and doctorates, but I just thought like, okay, it's gotta be like, like really, really smart people get those, you know, like, and it's gotta be rare. And um, my husband, on the other hand, he comes from a highly educated family. It basically almost everyone in his family has, you know, gone to grad school or med school or, you know, things like that. And he really started to encourage, encourage me that, uh, yeah, it can't be for me. Yes, exactly. That, that absolute thought. Um, and he's, he was, you know, the first person to really just encourage me like, Hey, you're such a good student. You know, you can like do so much more. Um, you know, you can go to grad school and me thinking, wait, I'm sorry, what? Like, I, I don't understand that. What are you talking about? And, uh, and him just being so supportive of my whole undergrad journey of giving me space to study, to work, to become a, a, a good candidate for grad school and trying to give me an idea of what grad school can look like. And, and to some extent, like even keeping track of deadlines and things for me, because like I always joke that he does all the things that I don't like doing. Uh, and like one of the, like, I would not be in grad school had he not been keeping track of like, hey, okay, so this is the deadline for this. And now you have to do this. And here I created your account for you. All you have to do is write up your stuff and submit it. Um, he also happens to be an English professor. So all of my personal statements, I had someone to review to make sure they were, you know, well-written. So he has definitely been just my biggest source of support and inspiration and uh, yeah, and just endless amount of, 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 of love and him believing in me helped me believe in myself as well. Um, and then I was also just lucky to have great mentors along the way that like really did the same thing, you know? So it's, it's not just that I was getting the support from my partner because I mean, he's my partner. Yes, do it, you know, but then to also have that validation and from other women that it's, that was for me, one of the biggest things, like finding amazing women who were just Janine. Yes, you can do this here. Just do this and do that. And, uh, yeah, I, that, that's just been like, I, I've had great people along, along the way. I think village. Yeah. And I think I can say that about myself as well. Like I'm just so lucky with the people that I've met through this educational journey. And, you know, like I met Patricia when I was working at Sonoma State, she was a student and I was a staff member. And, and then, you know, we all have like uh, groups of people that we hang out with and then like our, our groups merge or like we, we connect with folks and then that leads us down another path. So it's pretty cool when it happens and um and staying friends this long uh wow that is really cool that uh how long ago did you two meet um it was probably like 2015 2016 oh nice that's amazing and look at you two now doing this podcast (laughs) and starting projects together that's that's really awesome yeah and um Janine for the for folks who don't know Riverside because you didn't mention it in your bio but like you've been a student at UC Riverside for your undergrad. Yes. So I, I actually started in a community college in a, close to Riverside, this other town called Moreno Valley. And I started at Moreno Valley College. And from there, I transferred to UC Riverside. And I, I, I met my, 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 who is now my advisor, because I took a class with her. And my TA, my teaching assistant was one of her grad students at the time. And those two were just the key to me getting into grad school because I just, I met them and I just thought, okay, I have to keep learning from, from these two women. And, uh, and then just, you know, when it just happened, but yes, I mean, I, so I didn't even apply to other grad schools. That's how much I just thought like, no, I, it's not grad school that I want to do. It's, I want to keep learning from this person. And if I can't learn from her, then I'll have to figure out what my next step is. But I, 
there is no, there is no plan B like this is it. And so, so yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm very happy to have stayed in Riverside. I like UCR. I like how diverse the student body is. I love the psychology department. It's so fun. It's so cool. It's just full of amazing people. I like, it's, it's incredible. And I fully believe that that's the best place that's preparing me for, for, for what will come after. Did get set up from undergrad to be able to, you know, meet those connections or such at an early stage to help you go into and know, like, I do want to do this PhD. And definitely I already have a support system that can help me go through like all the phases that will require you for you to be prepared on um, what you want to do long-term. And you mentioned that your family was a very conservative Catholic household. Um, I want to know more about, because you mentioned we, we, talked about um, your research area being sexual communication, um, specifically on the pleasure gap. How did you get to be interested in your research? And tell us more about your research, actually. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure all all of our listeners would want to know any highlights, any cool tips or info you know um, on your research area. Yeah, so, you know, I, 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 I'm very interested now in sexual communication and how the ways in which people talk about sex uh, contribute to the orgasm pleasure gap. So, you know, is the way that men talk to women about sex different to the way that men talk to men about sex? And is that different from the way that women and women talk about sex? And uh, so I, when I decided that I wanted to keep learning from the amazing Dr. Kate Sweeney, I, she does not study relationships. So she studies uncertainty. And so it could not be any more different. And I remember having a conversation with her where I told her, so I really want to study relationships. I don't know how, I don't know what, but would you be willing to do that? And she immediately said, yeah, we can do that. That's fine. We can do whatever we want. So I'm like, okay, great. Then yes, this is going to be a thing. And at, at first I really wanted to study consensual non-monogamy and uh, seeing like trying to compare differences in, in, in consensual non-monogamous relationships compared to monogamous relationships, do levels of seeing if levels of commitment differ. But turns out there is some research on that already. So um, I thought like, okay, well maybe not that. Maybe I wanna focus a little bit more on just relationships and sexual satisfaction, but I still just wasn't sure what I wanted to do then. And I've always been interested in language and the way that we talk and how we talk about things. And precisely because when I knew I wanted to study something related to sex and and, and, and sexuality and consensual non-monogamy, I started talking a lot about it to my friends and to just people around me. And you start to see different reactions from people. Uh, I'm very, like, I'm very fortunate that every Every year, one of my friends who now teaches at Marina Valley College, she she has this panel, this grad student panel, and invites current grad students so that her so that her undergrads can can imagine themselves going to grad school. And you know, they asked me about my research. And then one day I got a question from this student saying, How like you want to study sex? Like, how do you talk to people about it? Isn't that just like weird? And and, and so, you know, getting questions like that made, like forced me to kind of become more conscientious of different reactions, but also saying, I mean, maybe, but science is cool. And I guess what you learn is that whatever question you have, you can answer it through research. And so why wouldn't you want to have science-based knowledge about sex? Like, you know, I'm in the business of helping people have a better sex life if that's what they want. And if they don't, that's totally okay too. And so, and it just made me so curious thinking like, wow, how do people talk about sex? How does this, how does, how does this contribute to, to our sexual satisfaction? And then I came across this very recent paper um, titled women get worse sex. And, and it just blew my mind how there are so many gender scripts that we operate under that has that has in some ways led to women 
not just getting worse sex, but expecting worse sex. It's almost like, like we've become okay with it or desensitized to it. And yeah, I mean, I grew up with very, not even with in a very sex negative household and family and just culture. And I didn't discover like my, my own sexual pleasure until much later in life. Uh, you know, I like didn't have an orgasm until I was 23, until I was married and learning how to, uh, thinking the masturbation was completely wrong and immoral. And, and now I'm like, I literally have a shirt that says it has three words. It's like tacos, 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 orgasm, social justice. You know, it's like the, the top three things I have stickers on my laptop that says hydrate and masturbate or charge your vibrator, just a friendly reminder, you know, and, uh, and it's made me feel way more connected to my body, to, um, to me as a human and to the world. I become so much more enamored with the world because I, I feel like I'm finally integrating who I am as a human. And I do believe that sex and sexual pleasure and self-pleasure is such an important part of, of who we can be as humans, um, who, if, you know, if you're a human that experiences sexual desire. And so, yeah, I mean, I also, I have not talked to my parents about my, my research interests, but you know, they also don't ask. I don't think they fully understand what, what research is. And so it's, you know, it's not a big deal, but I'm, I am that person that will very openly talk about sex to anyone who will listen <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and that's the interesting thing that you, you mentioned earlier, um, about how women don't want to, or don't feel comfortable or don't even know that that's a topic we can talk about. Like, I remember vividly, like my early, adult years like starting in college and like during orientation they like automatically have this conversation about what is consent right and then I was like that was my first exposure to somewhere outside of my family where they're like very comfortably and openly talking about it and I like felt so uncomfortable because I'm like is this okay to do like why are we talking about this like this is like day one of you know college and like it's already you know in display this like um they, they do like a little skit about what, you know, consent is and what it isn't mm -hmm. uh, to teach young adults what this is. And I remember, I'm like, I, I'm not supposed to have this conversation, you know, like, this is like not something um, like, why would I need to know this? Right. Because we're never put in a position of like our parents consciously knowing, yeah, your kid is going to have sex eventually, potentially, you know, or be in a position where they're being coerced or they're going to be in a position where they're going to be just exposed to like this world, you know, whether they want to have it or not, that's another conversation, but like, they don't prepare you to be a fully functioning, well-rounded human adult who's going to be out there who may not have the tools to know how to navigate that space. So when I had my friends in college and then we started kind of like whispering like, hey, like, you know, are you thinking about this or I like this person? Maybe we're going to like, we're just not prepared to like know how to navigate and feel empowered to say, yes. hey, this is what I like and it's okay to like this, you know, and have yes. this open communicated conversation about like, Hey, if I'm going to have sex, it mystery isn't going to make sex feel better. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like you're going exactly. in like randomly, like, Oh, you're going to have an amazing first sex with either the first time ever or with that person. Yes. Right? And then if you add to all of this, I, I, I have this conversation with my husband and with friends all the time, because if you watch movies the, or novelas, if you grew up with telenovelas, it, it's like sex is something that happens when you are so in love with someone that you just cannot help yourself. And then usually in telenovelas, the, the women that are more sexually liberated tend to be the villains, you know? So there's this, this like purity that comes with, like, if you're, if you're the, if you're the protagonist, the female protagonist, then you're pure and, and virginal. And yes, there usually is premarital sex, but it's with the person that's the love of your life. And because like the love was so great that you just could not help it. 
And, and then in, in just, you know, moving away from telenovelas, but in movies even, it's such an unrealistic portrayal of sex. You know, it's like, no, there's no talk about how messy unprotected sex can be and how it's like, oh, okay, well now there's like stuff all over the sheets and I gotta go pee and clean up or, you know, things like that. And so, and then if you then also add how bad the sex, sex ed is in the country, it just like you have all this uncertainty around it and it puts especially females in a situation where we're expecting, we have different expectations. And then because those are the expectations, we don't learn what it is that we want and how we want it. And we don't learn to ask for it because then it's like, it, you know, sex, uh, penetrative sex, so penis vagina sex is so male oriented and it's oriented for male pleasure. And so then we are thinking, oh, okay, well, then I can't ask for what I want because the important thing is for the male to have an orgasm. And, um, and it's almost just like we're just along for the ride and not an, an active part of, of the sexual experience. And we're just so shamed if you are a woman who um, wants and likes sex, like even your um, partner, um, or partners like men are going to have some sort of judgmental thing because it's like men are the ones who are supposed to be hyper sexual and yes. active um, as opposed to women who may want to have sex even if they didn't ever have sex with someone it's like they can't fathom that you could want sex without ever have having that or you're very active or you like to masturbate you know like things like that is like can't have that discussion because it's like you don't want to admit people don't want to admit how much they don't know or what is not working within their relationship or yeah. with their sex <laughs> that it's like once you actually open it up and say hey like i mean it was much later where people were like talking about how to have better sex. It's like, or like the aftercare after sex, right? Yes. Like the thing that you have to do. So you don't get a UTI, like you have to go to the bathroom or what, what kind of hygiene you need to do before and after. What is that conversation? If, you know, like if you're having a, re a long-term relationship with this person, like I've never heard a lot of my family members growing up, even planning family planning, right? Like, are we having sex for pleasure or are we just having sex to have kids? Right. Um, like all of that stuff was just kind of like, everyone is just running on an assumption and just like the women is then put in a position of reading minds and just kind of calculating what everybody's kind of doing, as opposed to just openly saying like in the first date, I want to have sex or I want to have kids, or I don't want to have kids or like, you know, like what is your long-term plan for this Yes, with this person or people, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm a big fan of that, of just like, you know, I have a goddaughter who uh, she was born in the U.S., but she lives in, in Tijuana and she's now about to turn 14. Wow, that's insane. But, um, you know, I, I, I talk to her about, you know, at an age appropriate level, of course. But, you know, I, I always tell her, you know, um, always use protection, be safe. And if a person that you want to be intimate with does not want to use protection, you turn and you run in the opposite direction like that. That is not you know, a thing that you can do, um, or, you know, and, and if you are going to do it, be mindful of the consequences and be mindful of, you know, this and this and that. And, and I just, I want her to feel so empowered, like, Hey, you ask for what you want and what you need. And if they're not willing to provide that for you, you run away, but nobody, no penis is worth that much trouble. Like, so if, if they don't want to give that to you, then, uh, then you go. Yes, it's okay to have casual sex. Absolutely have casual sex. In fact, it's not just okay. I highly encourage her to have casual sex because it's it's part of navigating relationships, you know, so that you don't just necessarily attach sex to love, which can be to coexist, of course, but don't have to. It, because like I part of the worry is if we're constantly pairing sex with love, then what we're saying is it, we're not only saying that sex without love can't be a thing, but we're also saying the love without sex can't be a thing, 
which does happen. You know, there are people who identify as asexual. They're in loving romantic relationships, but they don't feel sexual desire. And so, and it's, it's valid. So everything on the continuum is valid. And that's part of what, what I, what I want my work um, during, just during my, my grad school years. Then I want to go teach community college and, you know, I'll teach a human sexuality class and stuff, but, uh, but part of the work that I want to be doing during this, this time here, like, well, if I'm going to be in grad school, I'm going to use my time well, and I'm going to study what I want and try to use it as a time to encourage and empower women to reclaim their sexuality and, and just feel proud, feel, feel pride in it and feel just content with, with their, with their own sexual sex lives. Yeah. And I've seen like a lot of like family dynamics where because all this conversation, like being so open to talking about what you like in sex or what you don't with your partner doesn't make it less pleasurable. You know, like if anything, it does the opposite. It does the opposite. Are you kidding? Yeah. Yeah. Like the more you talk about sex, the more you learn what you like, what you don't like, what you're willing to experiment with, what you're not willing to experiment with. And then your sex life just grows and becomes richer. And yeah, I want that. (laughs) Yeah. And then it's like the fact that like going into something without knowing exactly how it goes, like being spontaneous in the moment can or can't work, but most of the time it backfires because it's, again, you're not, since you don't know what the other person likes. And I, I've seen a lot of like my parents and older generations, they just like, you can tell that they don't have this like good bond or very well understanding of the other person because every single time they like clash or they don't, you know, they don't, they're not satisfying each other's needs um, and wants. And then you see that a lot of them become infieles, right? They have relationships Mm -hmm. outside of their marriage. Um, They have other families, like all of this stuff that like, I'm like, how is that any better when I was growing up? Like kind of seeing like, is this the sample that y'all are saying that is like better, even though this other side makes more sense, like long-term and I like don't understand how we like normalize that like men can be super like have like a multitude of relationships like and that's like not supposed to like outside of their marriage right the the monogamous relationship and then um instead of just being like maybe that person wants to be polygamous right like you know and that's probably something like not everyone can be expected to be monogamous so can you tell us about you know your your research or experience um or you know I mean I can even well, I can even ground it a little bit more that I actually identify as polyamorous and it is an identity that I kind of came to discover, you know, later in my life. And, and when I was already in a monogamous marriage. And so now my husband, who, as I said, is my biggest fan and I'm his biggest fan. Like we're having these difficult conversations of, okay, I, yeah, I, I, this is what I need. This is what I want. Um, how can we make it happen so that our marriage still remains our primary relationship and the most important relationship? And, you know, we are truly doing this in what I consider to be the most ethical way possible. Like we're seeing, a, we're talking to a sex coach, you know, we each have our own therapist and we're navigating this. And what I, so through just my own experience, but also through research that I've read, what we, what, what we know is that a lot of people tend to cheat. So because, and oftentimes because it's harder to have the conversations that my has the Mike, his name is Mike, the Mike and I are having, because you, we have to talk about everything like, Hey, yes, there is this other person that I'm attracted to. What would you be okay with? What would you not be okay with? And how much do you want to know? And how much do you not want to know? And bringing up this like uh, pieces of, it, it brings up everything. And because we're opening up our relationship, it means that yes, communication is key. And that we more often, if I, I challenge any heterosexual monogamous couple to like, there's no way that you're talking to your partner and you're checking in about your relationship as much as we are, because it's, it's a lot more important uh, to, you know, as we're opening up to continuously check in with each other 
And so if anything, since we have been talking about this, I, we haven't opened up yet. We're in the process of deciding how we're, how we want to do it. But since just talking about it, I have grown so much closer to him and we have been together for 11 years. And in the, in these past four months, we've become much closer uh, than we already were. So um, to me, it's like sometimes Yes, not everybody wants to be monogamous, but there's such a stigma against uh, non-monogamy that people rather cheat. And the truth is that cheating is easier. You know, you just, you, it's easier. There's no maintenance. It, this is the hard part, you know, making sure that you're doing it ethically in a way that everyone involved feels honored and everyone is consenting and um, in, in, in just in the way that like everybody truly feels loved and part of the decision-making. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm so, I'm just like a total relationship anarchist. I'm like, yes, friends can be lovers. Lovers can be friends. Just love and live and let live, you know, and love and let yourself be loved. And, uh, and as long as everyone involved is consenting and is excited and everyone feels validated, then that's what, what else could you ask for? I think that the consequences of, of that are the are harder, but the work is much harder when you're doing it the way that we're doing it. You know, like the, the behavior, cheating, the, that behavior is the easy part. The consequences are the hard ones. You know, if, if, if you get caught or, some, or whatever. Like, so, so to me, it's like, yes, those consequences are hard, and, um, but doing the work first, that, that's why people cheat because how do you go to your spouse and say, hey, so I'm attracted to someone else or I feel like I just want to have sex with other people, but I also love you and I don't want to stop being with you. And because we haven't normalized it, you know, so just because monogamy is common, it doesn't mean it's natural. In fact, we monogamy is a relatively new concept for humans. We are not uh, biologically monogamous. We have created this social monogamy rule, but that's kind of new-ish. Uh, not, it's not some, it's, it hasn't always been this way. And then when you also, and then the other problem is when you do see cultures that aren't monogamous, it usually favors the male where men are allowed to have multiple wives, but women aren't. So part of that also is what drove me, you know, as I, I was mentioning earlier, how to me, education, is, it opened up my world. It made me question long-held beliefs. And that's really what took, brought me to, to feminism, you know, as, as like, wow, this is amazing. Like, I actually have a voice. I can do something. And then when I started to read about consensual non-monogamy and, and sexual, it like started seeing, like seeing, reading sex research, seeing that so much of it is done by women and how a lot of women actually see consensual non-monogamy as a way to, as a feminist movement, you know, as like, as a way to reclaim their sexuality and their autonomy in, in such a male dominated world. So that to me just felt even more incredible to, to, to go on and spread the word and tell everybody like, yes, you too can be ethically non-monogamous if you want to. And maybe don't lose the fear because it's always there, but be brave to tell your partner if you're currently in a relationship, like, hey, would you consider exploring non-monogamy and, and then figuring out what might work for you? And I think that it, it can be a lot more rewarding than um, if it's something that you're curious about and approaching it with curiosity. That, that's also something that I, um, that I tell friends and everyone who listen, who is, who wants to listen to this is just approach it with curiosity. There's so much to learn. There are so many different flavors of consensual non-monogamy. Maybe there will be one that works for you and uh, maybe there won't be. So you scale back and, you know, you decide, but, uh, but yeah, I think that the more we talk about it, the more we can normalize it and the more, the less taboo it can become. Yeah, I agree, Janine. And how does psychology, um, you said it allows you to do research, but how does your strand of psychology help you, um, you know, like, because there's different types of psychology, and we've interviewed uh, other psycho other people who pursued psychology to be therapists, but how does your your program in itself is uh, focused on research and 
Can yeah. you tell us more about that? Yeah, absolutely. So yes, I, when I knew I wanted to do psychology, I, you know, you say psychology and people hear therapy. And so I was very specific to say like, no, I don't want to be a therapist. I, but I do want to keep studying psychology. I'm a big fan of social psychology, which is really that how do our social, uh, how does, how do our social contexts influence our behaviors are the ways that we think and everything. And so for example, I will be starting a study soon. I just got it approved to, um, to see the ways in which engaging in flow-inducing activities can influence sexual satisfaction in couples. So we will be recruiting couples and then we will be asking them to engage for 15 minutes a day for seven days in a flow-inducing activity. And then we'll give them, so flow-inducing is, uh, I don't know if you've heard, if you, if you've heard of this thing that's, that's called flow, but it's this idea of being just deeply immersed in an activity to the point where you kind of lose sense of time. You kind of lose your self-consciousness. Um, if a lot of people get it through like playing video games or playing sports or dancing, or I get into flow when I'm cooking or, you know, doing, doing jigsaw puzzles and things like that. So the idea is that we will ask participants to engage in a flow-inducing activity of their choosing. They can decide what it is for 15 minutes a day, and then they will, you know, rate their relationship satisfaction daily. But then at the end of the seven days, we will also rate their sexual satisfaction and compare that to how it was in the beginning. And the hope is that um, that participants who engage in more flow-inducing activities will also see greater increases in their relationship and their sexual satisfaction. And, and so that's like the first study that we're going to do. Then what I'm really hoping to be able to do next is, so there's this, there's this thing called the, um, there's something called the fast friends paradigm, which is a, like a questionnaire that's meant to increase intimacy among strangers. And the, their questions that are supposed that's the that um, vary in their level of of disclosure, and so some researchers adapted it to the fast friends with benefits questionnaire, and what I'm hoping so all the questions are sex related and same thing they increase in levels of of intimacy and disclosure, and what I'm hoping to do is to bring participants to the lab and pair them up randomly and have them go through this fast friends with benefits questionnaire. And, and examine the way in which people talk about sex. So, and, and look at the, the gender, the dyadic gender differences in how people talk about sex and, um, and then like do some, uh, and then compare that to like, try to see how that fits into the orgasm gap. Are women talking differently to other women than they are to men than they are, and then are men talking to other men. So yeah, that's, that's, that's how I hope to approach uh, my research questions. That sounds very interesting, Janine. Uh, and you're going to be looking for participants, right? Yes. Can people contact you if they're interested in learning more? Oh my God, absolutely. Um, and so as we uh, talk about like your future, what are, what is, and you've touched on this a little bit uh, already, but like, what is the impact that you would like to have in your community? Oh my God. I mean, how much time do you have? Uh, so for one, I, I really want to empower young women, especially women of color, Latina women who grow up in such a sex negative culture. I want to be able to empower them and to show them that, no, you can claim this and it's not wrong. It's, it's natural and even healthy. But aside from that, you know, I do want to teach in a community college and I want to stay in the area. This is this is the community that saw me grow up. And, you know, part of my goal is to, to return that favor. I, part of the reason I'm in grad school, as I said, is great mentoring. I found great women along the way who pushed me, who encouraged me, who like guided me. And, you know, a lot of the times community college students from small towns that aren't, you know, that are predominantly of people of color don't often get that kind of encouragement. And there's so much talent that could, that can get lost without the right mentoring and the right guidance. And so part of my goal is 
just to be able to to be that someone for for students who who maybe have never heard of a PhD program and say, no, you have what it takes. You got to do the work, but you have what it takes. And that's uh, that's really what I that, that 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 is really where my heart is. I, I in teaching and mentoring and in doing service. So that's, um, that's what I want to do. Um, so, so thank you, Janine. Um, I love that you are thinking of staying in the area. I think that oftentimes, at least for me, I can talk from, I can talk from personal experience that, um, like I'm not from the area. I didn't grow up in Riverside. Um, and so it's nice to hear from you that you are interested in staying and, and like having an indirect impact with your community. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that there are so many great people here that, that have so much talent, so much skill, and all they need is having someone to show them that they can go and get more and do more with their lives. And um, because oftentimes we don't get that support from home because of various obligations, you know, sometimes it's nobody's fault other than the reality is that maybe people work multiple jobs or they have to take care of their families or, you know, a million things. And so they don't, they maybe don't hear from, from other sources that they can do more that the, and that they are allowed to pursue bigger dreams if that's what they want to do and, or to help them realize that they have that kind of talent, like, Hey, you know, you're really, really good at this. You could do this more. And, uh, and so that's, that's really where I think this is how the world changes. And especially with women, you know, like I, I want to be able to just continue to empower women to pursue higher ed um, because when women support women, beautiful things happen. For one of our last questions as we're wrapping up our, our episode, um, could you tell us um, what is some advice you could provide to our listeners about entering the uh, PhD in psychology um, if they ever want to pursue a degree in it? Make your peace with math, particularly stats. Get, start learning stats uh, and don't let that scare you or intimidate you. Um, ask for help, reach out, have mentors. It, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's so much fun. And the beautiful thing is that you can really study whatever you want, whatever your question is, you can study it and it's, it's a lot of fun. So prepare, uh, look early, look at different programs that may have the things that you might be interested in and get a mentor, find mentors wherever you can ask people for help. And, um, and, and yeah, yeah, that's like, get help, <laughs> ask for help. Um, and then any books on like sex ed? Uh, so there's, there are a lot that I can think of, but one that I really like is it's called Come As You Are. And it's, uh, it's actually in my, in my summer and my summer reading, reading list also, but it's supposed to be very, it's like very female oriented, which I really, really love. Um, and I will type the, the title. Come as you are by Emily Bosky. And I would also highly recommend if to anyone who wants to, get a little bit of, of knowledge on consensual non-monogamy. I recommend the ethical slut and, uh, and designer relationships. So those are two books that I really love relationships and the ethical slut. So yeah, those are two amazing books that I would like highly recommend. No, thank you so much for inviting me. I love been able to chat with two amazing kick-ass ladies and who are just, just look at you working so much and doing amazing things. So no, thank you so much for, for having me. The pleasure was ours. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Janine, for, for, for being here, for sharing our, all your, like a little bit of your vast knowledge. Um, I know we could talk a lot more on other topics, but you know, I, I'd love to have you back again in the future. Um, Absolutely. Are you kidding me? This is so much fun. <laughs> Thank you so much, Janine. I am excited for your research and 
you know, I, I, I look forward to staying in touch to meeting up when I go back to school. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Ariana, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me and for all of your amazing questions. This week's BIPOC business shout out is College Snacks. The founder of College Snacks is China Ford, who decided to create this business from her experience as a college advisor and her journey through college as a Black woman navigating academia. Battling food insecurity and the lack of guidance to resources really took a toll on her studies. She believes, quote, you should only be hungry for hashtag knowledge, never food, end quote. China has 10 years of experience with college advising, working with thousands of high school and college scholars within her community. And she's determined to make the world of higher education feel a little more comfortable for people that look like her. To learn more about College Snacks, please visit collegesnacks.com or collegesnacks.com where you can read more about subscription plans, student resources, and or donating opportunities. For all of our listeners, you can email us at chicanacodeswitchers at gmail.com and send us your POC business conference and event shoutouts and listener letters. You could also record a listener message on Anchor app, and that way we can include your recorded message in our future episodes. Follow us on Instagram at Chicana Code Switchers and on Twitter at X Code Switchers. If you would like to support this podcast, you can Venmo or Cash App us at Chicana Code Switchers and or become a Patreon contributor. Thank you, and don't forget, switch the code, don't let the code switch you.